We are back for our second conversation uh, regarding alternative approaches to divorce on this uh, very special series within the Chicago's Legal Latte podcast series. Hi, everyone. I'm Jim Mitchell. And as you see on our screen, for those of you who are enjoying the video version of this conversation, I am joined again by uh, Patty Levinson, who is a partner at Lavelle Law, and Ed Cordigan, an associate at Lavelle Law, uh, focusing on family law, and Amy Wilhelmy, a licensed marriage and family therapist, uh, divorce mediator. She's based in Chicago and the founder of Balanced Wellness Collective. Uh, all three of you, thank you for being here. Looking forward to continuing our conversation today. Thank you, Jim. Amy, I'm going to start with you. We spoke last time about uh, some alternatives to traditional approaches in divorce with the idea of uh, being collaborative, trying to make it a less stressful process and, and still have a uh, good, if not even better, outcome. Um, talk to us a little bit based on your experience. What divorce does to a family? And we're talking about not just the individuals, but children. Uh, obviously, it must be very impactful and something that we have to be aware of as we look at different alternatives. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I started this journey to practice mediation because of that. Um, uh, you know, I'm a marriage and family therapist, so I see couples and families and children. And um, oftentimes, unfortunately, therapy is still kind of used as a last ditch effort when relationships are disintegrating. So clients would come into my office and already be um, e- extremely um, hypervigilant, you know, a lot of a lot of trauma in their mm-hmm. relationship. Um, I, you know, I well-intentioned would um, refer them to family law attorneys that are not mediation or collaborative friendly, um, just people that I knew in the community. And then I, I oftentimes felt like, although the attorneys are well-intentioned, they're doing their job, um, that traditional model was um, then taking my traumatized clients and making it worse because mm-hmm. then hitting, you know, one party against the other. Um, and again, like, I think that that traditional model doesn't necessarily mean to do that, but they're, they're trying to take their own client's interest in mind and saying, I'm going to win and I'm going to get you what you need. Right. But then it creates even more animosity between the couple. And so, um, you know, the collaborative model or this model of mediation or even having collaborative friendly family attorneys on staff um, believes something different, really believes that, these two individuals can work together to work out all the things that they need to do to, to finalize their divorce in a calmer, in a more peaceful, in a more collaborative way. So um, I look at it as trauma. People are going through a very traumatic time in their life. And then it's also a grief process, right? So um, I'm sure that all the attorneys know that, you know, sometimes they get client calls and, and the people are not even sure what part of if they're even ready to get a divorce like mm-hmm. what's mm-hmm. so um you know grief looks like denial and anger and bargaining and acceptance and depression and so that's really the cycle that the clients are in when they are going through this process and it it fluctuates daily even even minute to minute where they're Um, They're just experiencing this kind of wide range of emotions. And I always say that that doesn't really regulate itself like until about two or three years after divorce is finalized. So oftentimes my work 
after the divorce is finalized is a lot of co-parenting support because they have to learn if they're if they're parents how to kind of get along and have a relationship in a different way your relationship is still a relationship it just the the formality of it changes so um that's really what people are experiencing well and today we want to talk about children particularly and how parents deal with children how they assist them through this process and you know, I realize a lot of what we talk about is what happens after the divorce. We've gotten through that process. Okay, what does life look like? Mm-hmm. But that divorce can take a while. And, and I don't know, uh, Annette or, or Patty, what happens during the divorce? That could be months. That could be a year, two years. I, I don't know what the process might entail. Even a collaborative situation, mm-hmm. it's still a divorce. So there are some disagreements, some differences. How does parenting time get handled when you're in the process? Well, I think it depends, Patty, if I can jump in. I think it depends if the parties are, if they're still living together during the divorce or if they're actually physically separated. And that can really make a difference as to, because if they're still living together, then, you know, it's the status quo typically that you're hoping to, that they're going to be following. What was going on, keeping, and of course, constantly advising the children are not to be part of this. If you have your disagreements, have it outside of the presence of the children. Um, if the parties are living apart, you know, then uh, typically you would try either working together with the other attorney or if there's only one attorney in the case, coming up with an outline, a, a parenting plan that says this is when mom's going to have the children, this is her parenting time, this is when dad's going to have his parenting time, this is what it's going to look like, who's picking up, who's dropping off. Sometimes you have to get really specific. Other times people do just want to, they do just want to get along through this very difficult time. But, um, you know, I know for me and I'm sure most of the attorneys I know are constantly advising and reminding people you need to leave the children out of this. They are not yeah. to be brought in in any situation. Patty, what about you? I'm sure you've had so many different scenarios you've encountered. Yeah. Um, well, Typically, in a litigated divorce, which is really not what we're focusing on, if the parents can agree to a parenting plan or who's going to make the significant decisions related to the children's lives, um, if they can agree at the outset or fairly soon after the case begins, the judge will typically send the parties to mediation to see if they can resolve the dispute with mediator. And very often they do. But we're not talking about a litigated case. For example, in a collaborative case, one of the first things that I try to tackle in my collaborative cases is also the parenting agreement. Mm -hmm. And if we're not able to reach any kind of agreement between the parents, whether it's how many nights the children spend with each parent or how to properly alternate holidays or how long of a summer vacation each parent can have with the children. Um, What we can do in a collaborative setting is bring in another professional to our team. Um, And that professional is a mental health professional who works in the capacity of a child specialist. And Amy, I believe, is trained to act in this role in collaborative cases. So 
what the the child specialist can do and Amy please correct me if I misstate this because I don't act in that role um, is to address the specific needs of the children sometimes even by meeting with the children not to bring their um, desires as this is what should be done but to at least let the parties know this is how the children are feeling and adapt to the children's needs. Amy, maybe you can elaborate a little bit more on the role of a child specialist. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it, it is exactly what you said. It's, it's kind of being the voice of the children. Not, not. I mean, we all know as adults that, that children cannot uh, run this thing, right? That, they, that we can't say, oh, this, this is what the child wants. Let's right. do that. Right. It's the voice of the children. And Oftentimes, children tell therapists um, things that maybe they, they don't feel comfortable telling their parents because they don't want to hurt their feelings or they don't, you know, children are very aware of um, dynamics between divorced or divorcing parents. So they, you know, they don't want to pick sides. So being able to meet with the therapist and then kind of openly express to this third party their um fears, their desires, their feelings. And then the, that, that child specialist is able to bring that back to the team and just say like, Hey, you know, I, I know that your parenting plan is saying that you want to do it like this, but just so you're aware, you know, the children are expressing maybe switching home three times a week is, um, is not preferable for them. Or, you know, that's just an example, or, you know, they really having their holidays at the maternal grandmother's house um it can can we maybe keep it that way so they're just saying like again acting as a neutral third party but just saying like this is what i'm hearing from the kids is it likely from the legal perspective that after a divorce agreement is reached some of the things that amy talked about uh, occur or our kids get older they get different interests get more involved in school and activities that you would go back and revisit and say, okay, it was good three years ago. This doesn't make sense now. We need to revisit and have a new new agreement. So I know for me, um, you try to address, even with very young children in a parenting agreement, you try to address it as, from a long-term perspective so they're not constantly coming back and, and revisiting it or changing it. Um, it is the roadmap, the parenting agreement that has ultimately entered, the uh, allocation judgment is another term for it. It's the roadmap that the, the parents are going to follow. Um, if there are changes that need to be made, a lot of times, you know, I, I'll say to clients, you know, there's not, it's not like the, the, the allocation judgment police or the parenting police are going to come to your door and say, you didn't follow the, the parenting <laughs> agreement that's, you know, part of the judgment. Um, so if the two of you can work things out, great. Um, but typically, if there's something already, you know, entered with the court or after the divorce, they're going on with their lives and there has been changes in the family's lifestyle or with the children, the best approach is to get an agreed order entered that modifies the original parenting agreement that says this is what we're going to be doing going forward. So that's one approach. A lot of times people, they go on with their lives, they're managing their children perfectly well. 
and they just uh, you know, they, they cooperate by communicating with each other, you know, and, and making those modifications. They don't always go back into court and do mm-hmm. it formally with an agreed order. Isn't that yeah. right, Patty? Yeah, um, and in the body of the allocation judgment or parenting plan, and I don't know if you include this in it, but I usually include that the parents will revisit it at least Hmm. annually, Mm -hmm. to make sure that it meets the current needs of the children. Um, For example, when there are small children, you know, babies involved, um, sometimes overnight parenting time is difficult. Um, So sometimes a schedule will be put forth. And then when the parties agree that the weekend should start Friday night and go to Sunday or that there will be overnights included in the weekend, then there will be another set of rules, so to speak, or another schedule set forth for when the parties agree the children are old enough and able to have the overnights. Um, And then when Going back to your original question, Jim, when the children get older and they start having a lot of activities Mm -hmm. and they start getting part-time jobs Mm -hmm. and they start um, having uh, boyfriends or girlfriends, um, and that's where their interests are. They don't want to spend the weekend with dad if if it's homecoming weekend, Mm -hmm. you know, or something like that. Um, And it has been my experience that the parents usually work that kind of thing out with each other. And it doesn't require an order. As long as the parties agree to make a change, an email about that change is really all that's necessary. So there's so much we could cover here, but I do do want to shift gears a little bit just to honor the time that uh, you're giving us and talk. Because we're talking so far about the parenting time. When do I... I guess the term used to be cussing. When do I have the child with me? But day to day, week to week, there's just things that happen. Decisions have to be made. Mm-hmm. And, and aside from who are they spending time with, do these agreements also cover things like decision-making, whether it's you know a small decision, can they sign up for this team or club? A big decision, can they go on a trip with some you know a, a family friend? Um, how do decisions get handled in, in these agreements? It depends on, you know, is it, a, is it sole custody? Is it joint custody? Is it a, um, a, a you know, a, a variety of both where, for instance, maybe the mother is very um, committed to her faith. And so she wants to have sole decision-making when it comes to the upbringing of the, you know, the religious upbringing of the children. Um, you know, if you have joint parenting on the major decisions, of course, and you're talking about signing a child up for an extracurricular activity, well, mm-hmm. extracurricular activity is one of the major topics that both parties, if they're joint parenting, will have a decision. You know, they'll be part of the decision-making process. Um, but I know, Patty, my, my um, parenting agreements do talk about that when the children are parenting with one of the parties, that party's making the day-to-day decision-making. The child's got the sniffles or a sore throat or something. That parent sure. doesn't have to call up the other parent and say, you know, I'm leaving, the, I'm bringing, keeping them home today. They're not feeling well or whatever. The day-to-day basic parenting responsibilities are handled by the parent who has their parenting time that day. Does that answer your question? Yes, absolutely. 
And, and actually, I'd like to turn to Amy because we've sort of been protecting the children and, and acknowledging that um, they have feelings, opinions that need to be addressed. But Amy, what about, we know that kids can maybe be a little manipulative. They need a decision made so they know who's going to honor their uh, their wishes. How do you handle that so that the parents aren't put in a bed? Yeah, I mean, I'm just constantly coaching um, clear, as clear communication as possible with the parents. And what that really looks like is um, coaching to kind of try to get their emotions out of that communication and really make it as logistical as possible. Because the truth of it is, there are going to be um, emotions that are that are still there from the marriage, what, you know, whatever it was. Um, so that communication looks like, okay, you know, I'm going to set, we're going to talk about the schedule for the month and I'm going to send you an email about it. Or, um, when I, when the parties are having a text communication or sometimes people can't text and they use my family wizard, um, really trying to keep all emotions out of it. And again, like, uh, treat it like a business meeting is what I often say, Mm. like what schedule for the month? What do we need to do? How are we going to handle it? You know, what are the schedule variations that might not be on that um, regular schedule or parenting plan? And then just try to keep people up to date. Um, and sometimes, you know, like we talked about, it might be it might be a daily thing. Oh, you know, I'm keeping the child at home today. Mm-hmm. Um, but communication, communication, mm-hmm. possible. I was going to jump in and say the big, the big uh, term that we want to emphasize here is the communication okay. always. Mm-hmm. Um, and before we wrap up and, and prepare for our third session, which uh, we'll, we'll be doing shortly in this series, um, Patty, I know we want to talk about parental alienation a little bit. That's something I think that you're familiar with. Is that something you can kind of provide some information on for us? Well, parental alienation um can be um, a huge problem in divorce cases. And that is when it is believed um, that one parent is reacting to, talking about, or treating the other parent in such a way to make the child feel like that parent is the bad parent Mm -hmm. that the child does not want to spend time. It has been my experience that the term is thrown around much, much too often. Everybody claims that their soon to be ex spouse is alienating the children against them. Um, But there are cases where, It is a valid concern. That's for sure. And typically when it is determined that a parent is alienating a child from the other parent, um, the child and that alienated parent often go through something called reunification therapy. And that's all I can say because I really don't know the details. <laughs> I, I have a feeling maybe about Amy, maybe Amy can help us there. Therapy yeah. works other than its title. Yeah. Um, that is something I think that's more in Amy's wheelhouse, right? right? <laughs> uh, so I, I do do reunification work, um, and what that usually looks like is 
um, oftentimes by that point, a guardian ad litem has stepped in and has said, uh, we need to do reunification work. And um, that would be me working with the, the alienated, quote unquote, alienated parent and the child together in uh, family sessions to strengthen and rehabilitate their relationship. And then on the, on the other side of that, I'm working with the other co-parents to do a lot of kind of like psychoeducation about the importance of the relationship between the child and the alienated parent, especially if the alienated parent um, wants to have a relationship with that child, right? A lot of my work with the, the other parent is kind of psychoeducation, like, hey, um, I've worked with a lot of families where the parent does not want to be involved and you have a co-parent that really does want to be involved and this is a good thing. Mm -hmm. They messed up in your marriage or what you thought of them or what they did is now in the past. And now this person wants to have a relationship with their child, so we're going to work on that. Mm-hmm. Well, there's a lot of things we need to cover, but we're going to take a uh, uh, a break here before we uh, work on episode three in our alternative approaches to divorce session. Um, Amy Wilhelmy, thanks very much for being here. Where can people reach you if they want to talk to you about uh, family therapy, marriage therapy, uh, part of your Balance Wellness Collective? What's the best way to get you? So there are two websites, www.amywilhelmi.com and www.balancewellnesscollective.com. The phone number is 847-450-0524. And we know that the Lavelle Law can be reached at 847-705-7555, lavellelaw.com, where you will find not only this podcast series, but uh, a great collection of podcasts featuring Eddie Levinson, Annette Corrigan, and all the attorneys at Lavelle Law, along with articles and other videos. So great resource for all of your legal needs. So, Patty, Annette, Amy, thank you for being with us. And I look forward to talking to you on our uh, next episode here as we discuss alternative approaches. Of course, thanks for being here. Thank Thank you. you. Thank you, guys. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.